This is Limit Up, the show where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology so that you can take your trading to the next level. Howdy, traders, and welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by the good folks at Top Step Trader and Top Step FX. I'm Jack Pelzer, joined as usual by Dan Hodgman. Dan, hello. Hey, Jack, how are you doing this week? You know, I am doing just great. For whatever reason, on this Wednesday morning, I just feel amped and ready to take on the world. I don't know why. I felt that I was up at like 5.30 this morning. I was like, usually when I wake up at like 5.36, I'm like, I just want to stay in bed for another hour. I was up, ready to go at 5.30. I worked out. I got my shower in already. I mean, I was ready to go by 7.30 this morning. I felt great. Yeah, I don't know. It's something, I think it's, we've had a couple nice fall days in a row. Well, it got a little um, yeah. warmer out there. Yesterday was 70 degrees up here. I was like, wow, this is really nice. I wore a t-shirt again outside. Oh, that's great stuff. You know, I love that uh, fall weather. Uh, our guest today, it is not fall where he is. It is spring. Um, because joining <laughs> us from uh, Melbourne, Australia, the founder of the trading game, Chris Tate, is joining us. Uh, he's the author of The Art of Trading and The Art of Options Trading in Australia, has a ton of experience. It was great talking to him. Uh, his voice reminds me of like, uh, I know, I know David Attenborough is not Australian, but kind of like that. I, uh, really, <laughs> I really enjoyed Chris's voice. Well, when I was reading his bio on his website before we met him, it was like the sergeant major of, of trading and, uh, coming from a military background. Like when I hear the term sergeant major, I'm like ready to pop to ready for this big, deep, bustling voice to come through the speaker and i was like oh wow this is like this is more like officer side not enlisted side yeah well <laughs> uh there's a lot of trading to look forward to in the next month because i think it was either last week on three amigos or on this podcast we were talking about how things are going to be pretty range bound and pretty much dictated by stimulus and uh yeah now that's kind of a crazy thing going on so we'll see what happens there it's an interesting, uh, interesting things happening. You're, there's a lot of information coming from all different angles. Um, but Three Amigos, if you guys haven't checked it out, make sure you come over to our YouTube page. Give it a shot. Um, it's a fun conversation, and I think it's a pretty tactical um, show where there's a lot to walk away with. And we've been saying for the last few weeks, I think we kind of started saying it in the uh, beginning of September, that the next couple months, like, we're going to have some fun trading um, it's going to be pretty range bound. It's going to give us some really good opportunities until uh, election night. Yeah. And we provide a bunch of uh, actionable levels in that show. It's a little um, harder to talk about specific levels in the podcast because we don't record it live or at the same time that it goes out. <laughs> so, you know, the news gets a little stale. So we have to take a little bit of a more macro view of the markets. But um, yeah, definitely check out Three Amigos and yeah, get ready for your election trade. Um Get ready. I'm just, I think maybe that's part of the reason I'm excited. These uh, these markets are kind of like the uh, telenovela of markets right now. Everyone's kind of right. watching it. It's like, will they? Won't they? <laughs> Which way are we going to wake up? Down, like down 600. Down's up 600. <laughs> it's like when I wake up in the morning, I like I always do the I, first thing I do is I look at where markets are at. Mm -hmm. I pull up my quote board and I'm always like now every morning I'm like, are we going to be? Did we just break and did we yeah. hit lock limit down last night and no one called me or what happened? I'm always getting amped up. And this morning I woke up and I'm thinking, all right, we're going to be lower. Like we have to be lower. 
I wake up. No, we're, we recovered yeah. yesterday. I was losses, thinking like, like minus, okay, you know, cool. looking at the, the ES futures, I was just thinking, oh, you know, it's going to be minus 80 or plus 80. And then this morning when I woke up, it was like plus 40. I'm just like, huh. Oh. Like, it was, it's, it's <laughs> I needed more than a 40 that. 40-point move. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, anyway, uh, the European traders and traders in Asia who woke up got a bit of a surprise. So uh, no surprise. It was an active night session there. That definitely was. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we had a great time with Chris. Great order. Great storyteller. Knows a lot about trading, startup options. And um, I think it was a great interview. So y'all should stick around and take a listen. And Dan and I will join you after the sound effect. Hey, everybody. We're joined uh, today by the founder of The Trading Game, Chris Tate, who is joining us all the way from Melbourne, Right? That, that is the, uh, Australian Peninsula. Ugh. Now I can't pronounce English words. <laughs> no, not no, you're doing well. You're doing well. Coming all the way from Australia. So, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, how are you doing today, Chris? I'm good. I'm good. And yourself? We're at the end of the day right now. So, uh, yeah, I'm doing pretty good myself. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty great. I'm ready for the week to come to a close here. It's always good to be at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. It's been sort of a hectic week in the markets as well. Hmm. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, since this is a trading-focused show, uh, you have quite a bit of history in uh, trading. Uh, my understanding is that you've been doing that for something like 35 years. And I was wondering for everyone out there that might not be familiar with you, if you could just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, how you got into it. Yeah. Saying I've been, I've been doing it for a while is probably a very polite way of saying I'm old. Uh, <laughs> look, look, my background is it probably has elements that are similar to everybody else's who's involved in trading. It was in a profession, academic research, which I wasn't really all that happy with. Uh, too much in the way of politics, not enough in the way of money. And I, I, I like everybody else, at some point in their trading career, uh, looked over my shoulder and thought, one of these strange things called markets and as I began trading, the 80s bull market was just starting. And so I was caught up in that sort of wave that I suppose happens once every generation where people are caught up in what happens and what occurs. And my academic work had drifted me into a direction where I was involved in sort of advising and sort of the listing process of several companies down here uh, because we had a biotech boom going on at that time and, and a lot of people in my field were advising and all the rest. And so I got into it that way and I actually somehow managed to talk my way into a stockbroking firm and thought, well, I'd been investing by myself and I thought, well, who knows about investing? Well, stockbrokers do. That was my first mistake. <laughs> they, they know about selling things. <laughs> that That's the lesson I got very, very quickly. Uh, but fortunately, because of my background, derivatives were becoming a thing here in Australia at the time. And coming from a, a fairly quantitative background, th these were a mystery to stockbrokers. Uh, they, they, they really struggled to understand how uh, things like options pricing worked. And so I found a little bit of a niche there. And I was able to do quite well at a stockbroking and first thought about retirement in my 30s. And 
Retirement's a middle-class concept. It's also very dull. And yeah. so <laughs> stayed, stayed retired for a little while and then came back and got involved in some corporate deals again. And you know what it's like. Once you've been involved in markets, they're actually very hard to leave alone. For those of us who trade, it it's not an obsession, but it's 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 the thing we do. It's like having a cup of coffee. You wake up and you just want to see what's going on. Yeah, and and, and we're all the same. And you, you talk to a trader, and within a, within a few moments, someone's got their phone out. You're looking at charts. You're talking about ideas, talking about strategies, and it, it's very very hard to leave alone. And so came back and founded. Uh, along with my business partner, uh, this group, The Trading Game, and continue to run the home office, continue to do all that stuff, just trying to keep myself occupied. Sure. So um, how different was it? So you came from, just uh, to clarify, you came from immunology. Yes. Um, hot term right now. Very um, hot term. <laughs> yes, indeed. So you've done a lot of things where you started immunology, you did the academic route, you got into derivatives, you did a brief dabbling in retirement, and then came back to do this. Um, what is sort of the common theme through that? So you're you're sort of an entrepreneur, I would take it, as far as yeah. you know, seeking things out like that. I, I think the the theme that goes through all of trading is curiosity. Because all, all traders by nature are curious. We, we want, we want to explore things. It's also discipline. It, it, it's the capacity to have an idea and work it through and stick with it. And this is, this is something that struck me from uh, when you were speaking to Adam, your last guest, when, when he said, you just do it. it. It's just something you do. If you have a method that works, an idea that works, you just do it. And you stick with that methodology. So I think the common theme is we're all curious and we're all disciplined because we have to be. And that seems to flow through everyone who attempts to be or tries to be successful, whether they be entrepreneur, athlete, whatever. It's just the common thread. Yeah. And you see a lot of uh, athletes, musicians, in addition, the traders are the people that are always also trying to build businesses, sometimes not so successfully on the side there. But I think there is every trader I knew who was successful too. They would always be, a lot of them were working on other things or starting new things or always looking for another idea, as you said, that they could sort of take through to completion. But it, it's that curiosity. It's also the realization that uh, uh, unless you're a mad keen day trader, your day is really quite empty. And, and even when I was trading derivatives uh, back in the day when we had trading floors, there were still large gaps in the day where there was nothing. It, it may be that you have positions set by 11am and that's it. And then the rest of the day, you're sitting there sort of twiddling your thumbs wondering what to do. And so when you've got that curiosity and drive, you can't help but start opening doors and looking at things. It, it just seems to be the way it is. Yeah, I, I think that that's the productive way to do things. I think that one of the reasons, you know, the trader archetype is this sort of wild person crazy thing is kind of because of what you said. Back in the day on the trading floor, it was a lot of 
uh, young to middle-aged men standing around uh, twiddling their thumbs for a lot. And Dan, I've uh, heard from you a bunch of the hijinks that would ensue with that. Yeah, a lot of a lot of cards and uh, hundred dollar bills changing hands down on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we, we 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 would have when when we had quiet periods, uh, we would kick the football around because trading floors are big and open. Uh, so what what else are you going to do? This you know when when the order flow has dried up, there's not a lot to do, and you know you're surrounded by a, a peer group that is very pale and very male. So yeah. you're all the same. Without a doubt, I think that's a great point, that curiosity. And I think that's something a lot of traders struggle with as soon as they come over. When we were, when it was on the floor, you knew when it was quiet. Everything got quiet. All of a sudden, you saw, for me, it was you saw someone start to pull out a deck of cards. And then someone's pulling out their wallet to see how much cash they had on them to see if they can get in on that game. And you weren't worried that you were going to miss a move because it all happened there. And now that we sit behind the screens, I think so many traders now, all of a sudden, just because they see the ladders moving a little bit, they feel like they have to get in on a trade when in all actuality, chances are they're not missing out on anything. And it's just computers moving a, a little bit here and there. Yeah, look, that's, that's, that's an incredibly important point. And I think it's one that people miss is that – Traders have this notion that, that they're locked into that activity equals profitability and they feel that the more they're hustling and the more they're doing, the more they're going to make. When in actual fact, when you look at people, what you see is that tends to erode their account, it erodes their confidence, it, it trips them up in all sorts of ways. And people, and unfortunately, there's this popular image of trading that you're always on the phone yelling at your broker. You're always madly banging into your keyboard. You know, you're always yelling at the Bloomberg screen trying to find something to do. When in actual fact, I mean, I mean trading is, look, probably 90% boredom where you're just sitting waiting because you can't make the market give you anything. You actually have to wait. It's the analogy I use is it's like surfing. You can't make the waves appear. You simply have to be in the right time and the right place with the right skill set to take advantage of them. You can't force it. And so many people try and force the market to give them something. And that, if I was to look for a cause of traders blowing up, that would be among the top three or four. Yeah. Everyone out there, please listen to the point that was just made. Our job is to wait for the markets to come to us. And if you're like me and you live in the center of the United States and you don't really see the waves for surfing very often, that is, uh, there's other analogies we can come up with out there. <laughs> um, but if you can be patient, the more you try and force something, the more, like Chris said, that account is going to erode. And that's the last thing we want to do. Our job is to make those accounts grow and grow and grow. And it, it, but it's so, it's so hard. And because you're a different generation to me, you would have a better perspective on this. But now with social media, it is so difficult to convince people that traders sit and wait. They're like snipers. You don't try and blitzkrieg the market into submission. You wait. And it's unfortunate because I, I, I have this habit of 
I, I love to watch traders on social media as a form of entertainment because if ever you wanted a playbook in what not to do, Twitter is the place to, to explore it. Wait. Because <laughs> it, it, it's, it's done for entertainment. It, it's, it has very little in terms of utility function. You can even see the ebbs and flows in their emotions because you'll see uh, traders pop up and they'll, they'll hit a streak for two or three days and they'll be all over social media boasting about it and then they'll disappear for two weeks. And you know precisely what's happened, that they've run the account back to neutral or below neutral. And so it's interesting to watch people's emotions on full blast for everybody to see. It, it, it's something that, that is very, very new to me. I used to see it in traders on the floor because people would have an absolute hissy fit, but then it would be done. I was just going to say that used to be always on the floor. You knew the guy who was doing really – the cocky guy that was doing really well because he was boasting about it. If the bond market was up 10 handles, yeah. he was long from the bottom 200 bonds. And yeah. if it once it goes against him and he starts losing money, he's just sitting in the corner dead silent, doesn't want to say a word. But, it, but it's, it's like those wonderful clips you see on YouTube of cocky boxers who drop their hands and who prance around and all of a sudden, out of nowhere – they get nailed and down they go. And it, 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 it's, and it's intriguing because you can almost, you can predict it's going to happen because, you know, pride goes before a fall. Yeah. I think too, it's the same uh, issues that you see in a lot of other parts of uh, society with social media is that you can also find if you have any bonkers opinion on anything in the markets to uh, whatever conspiracy you like, you can find a bunch of people that will back you up, whereas if you're in a trade room or something, uh, people are just going to call yeah, what you are on that one. You know, you're not going to find a lot of support for the Twitter ideas. It, so, social media is a brilliant echo chamber for every stupid idea any human has ever had. But as you say, when you're on a floor, someone will just come along behind you and clip you over the ear and go, don't be stupid. And, and just everyone gets on with their day. Yeah, get shoulder tapped by the risk manager. A common yeah, feeling even on the screens. Yeah, all, all of a sudden the person you don't want to speak to is on the other side of your desk going, why do we have this? And you've, <laughs> got, to come, you've got to come up with a really good reason. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I'll, I'll never forget beyond. the first time that happened to me. Yeah. Besides, I just saw it on Twitter. It seemed nice. Yeah, that, 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 that is one of those experiences where, where, where you do go a little bit weak in the knees. Oh, definitely. Just just the worst. So, um, you know, we're getting into some trading psychology stuff now, and I thought we could kind of explain, uh, you know, in your kind of life story, we got to when you guys started up the uh, trading game, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about what you guys do there and um, how it could help out the retail traders. The, the aim is we, we take the approach that – everybody's interaction with the market is unique to them. So everybody comes, people don't come to trading unformed. People come to it as adults with experience. They've had, you know, careers, they've had families, they've had experiences, and this forms their belief system. So your trading approach has to be your trading approach. So what we do is we get people to build trading systems that, that have some key components, like they all do. They have risk management. They, they have the notion that you are 
you try and trade in the direction of the trend. You know, sometimes we'll have people who have an interest in mean reversion and we let them explore that. But it's trying to build a system that is theirs, that can trade any market over any time frame. But it's the recognition that it's idiosyncratic. So I have an objection to black boxes. And for a long time here in Australia, we had a lot of people spruiking these magic black boxes. And it was really just a moving average crossover. But if you've never, if you've never seen a trading system before and someone presents to you a moving average crossover on something that has done nothing but trend, it looks like it's magic. And it looks brilliant. You think that's genius. I'll just print money because here's the goose that lays the golden egg. So the trading game was designed to simply take people to do that. And we've had people who've gone on to, you know, start their own hedge funds, run family offices. A lot of people become full-time traders and then get bored and think, I really need to go back and do something else because it's not occupying my time. And a lot, strangely enough, find that trading is not that emotionally satisfying. And, and particularly people who are used to working with others, all of a sudden the isolation gets to them. So some have actually moved into prop firms where they get, and, and they simply do it for the companionship, for the professional camaraderie, because they miss that. They miss that casual exchange of talking to someone at the coffee machine or the water cooler or in the lift. Because as you know, we're, all three of us are sitting here in our offices by ourselves. And that, that's the lot of the trader. So it, it's really just designed to get people to a point where they can trade and they will not blow themselves up because the, the prime, we concentrate on two things, trading psychology and money management. And without those, you are stuffed. I, I, you know, I, I don't care what anyone says. You, you can't function without money management. It, it just, nothing works. Yeah, it's like Hogue's dad said, what is it? Money's uh, easy to lose, easy to make, hard to keep. And that's got to be the prime rule of... And if you don't have money management skills, making more money doesn't help that. No, it, it, it's, it's, you're, you're, you're the bloke on the Titanic with the smallest bucket bailing as hard as you can. doesn't matter how hard you bail, you're all still going down. Without a doubt, I think I was fortunate, uh, Chris, I grew up in the industry. I've been doing this since I was a little kid. And my dad used to tell me all the time, he was a trader. That was his job. And as I've gotten older and I've gone away from the floor and I've been trading from home and behind a screen, it went from this concept of being a trader. Am I really a trader? Or is my job to manage money and make that money grow little by little? And I think that's the shift that's taken. I'm no longer market making in the pit where my job was to actually trade and fill those orders on either side. My job is to trade to make money and grow my account and manage that money that I have. And I think that's one of the biggest shifts we've taken in the industry. Yeah. But see, that that's also a profound shift in psychology because we found here in Australia, Australia adopted screen trading very early. So our derivatives flaws disappeared. The last one disappeared in the very early 90s. Oh, wow. That's, that is early. Yeah, so we, we adopted early. And when we took our market makers or locals, as we used to call them, off the floor, most went broke. Mm -hmm. That first generation went broke because they, they struggled to make the shift from being interpersonal and having interpersonal relationships and doing deals that way 
to doing them over the screen. But when you deal over the screen, you, you tend to actually have to have a more overarching view. Your view becomes more global in what you actually do. And as you say, those of us who make this transition move from simple trader, that is moving order flow about, to all of a sudden having this business we have to manage. And it's a very different form of interaction with the market. And it's a very different psychology you have to adopt because you all of a sudden you actually have to start husbanding your resources and as you said, if you don't have money management, making more money doesn't help. The, the problem will just expand to absorb all the money you make. Yeah. You know, you can double down a lot, but eventually you got to pay the piper on that. Yeah, look, you, you, you can play double or nothing as, as often as you want, but sooner or, sooner or later, you come up with nothing. Yeah. And that's a huge problem. And I, I, it's, was the same over here where we just hear all these stories. I, I started out on the screen because, um, I started my career in 2009 or thereabouts, but you would see all these uh, people who were on the floor just go and get eaten up by trying to do the same thing. And it's very hard. Um, being adaptable is probably what I think the most important skill a trader can have because things are always going to change and the people that are making money pointing and clicking in 2009, a lot of them got blown out when yeah. the algo started. It, it's constantly changing, so you have to be accepting. But, the, but that, that adaptability has that macro aspect, as you said, but also the micro aspect in that you might be gung-ho on a given stock, commodity, whatever, whilst it's trending in a given direction, but sooner or later that trend will end and you have to realize that it's ended. You, you can't continue to bat away uh, and assume that the world is unchanged and will be forever unchanging. You, you have to be malleable and flexible in what you do and the instruments you trade, how you see them, uh, even the direction you take. You need to be able to swing from being bullish to bearish, back to bullish, back to neutral. Uh, these are all things that traders need to have. And too often I've seen traders who, who lock in on a given stock and they, they won't let it go. And a, a case in point, I had a friend, what, two, three decades ago, we were involved in the listing of a company, and it was one of, we call them penny dreadfuls, these little stocks. <laughs> it went from 20 cents to $7, and it did so in the space of about nine weeks. And wow. at, at one, one stage, he had about $14 million in open profit sitting in this one position, and it when you looked at the order flow, it, it was becoming brittle. There was selling coming in. You could see it. You could see it in the price action. You could see it in the chart. And I said, look, I, I'm exiting because the position is broken and, and it's hit my stop, so I have to leave anyway. And he said, no, I've spoken to the directors. It's going to $50. And it was at seven at the time and falling. And I said, it's going to 50 cents, not $50. And long story made short, he exited at the price he entered. That fourteen million evaporated, and his his trading career never recovered. And professionally, he never recovered because that was the one that got away. And it was simply because he couldn't be adaptable, as you said. He, he couldn't he couldn't let go of that belief system he had. Yeah, 
that's that happens. You know, you don't want to take. That's why we always harp about, you know, setting your stops, knowing where you're getting out, because you can really do a number, number on your headspace, pretty much by uh, doing oh, one of those. It, man, fourteen million. It, it, that's that's it, a spicy it, it one. It does your head in, and again, you just don't recover. You don't. I think once you kind of get into that trade too, or you you are into that investment, you and you see it start to grow. Every bit of conscious reasoning goes out the window at that point. You're so excited about that dollar value and you're seeing it growing. And if you could go do that much in, in nine weeks, well, imagine what I can do in 18 weeks. Imagine what I can do in 27 yeah. weeks. And you forget really where it started and what got you into that. And you just all the you start to create this bias that says, nope, this is going to go here. Someone told me it's going to 50 and you have no problem sitting in it, even letting it go against you, because human nature says it's going to come back. Yeah, and and that's that's the thing. I mean, humans become stupid when they're either under stress or they're excited. Your IQ halves, your, your capacity to act as a grown-up just completely disappears. And that's why we harp on about this notion of a trading plan. You must have a plan. It's why we even give one away so that people actually understand that it has to have certain components. And without those components, you're really just making it up. And look, for us guys who are driven by ego and testosterone, the notion of making it up sounds really, really exciting. And the notion of having a plan sounds really, really boring. But boring makes money. And it makes more money than God. It's funny you bring that up. I just spoke to one of our traders today. And she said to me, she goes, today was one of the best trading days I've had this entire year. And I go, why? She goes, because I actually stuck to the plan and I was patient. And I go, it's funny how that works. It's, it's not, it's not glorified. Um, it sounds not exciting. And, but because you did what you were supposed to do that you knew you were supposed to do, it paid out and you just had the best day of the year. And it's funny because it's almost like a revelation to people. They go, holy hell. I followed the plan and I was relaxed and I made money. Who'd have thunk that was a thing? <laughs> right? Who'd have guessed? Well, really, I, I, I wondered what these these blokes were jabbering on about all this time. <laughs> <laughs> I should yeah. have listened to them five years ago. Yeah, it's it's a little bit like the notion, but people, I don't know, I don't know how people think the world works, but I, I wonder whether they get on an airliner that they think that the pilots have just. They were just driving by the airport and they thought, be nice to go to Bali today. Oh, let's see if there's a plane ready. And then they wander into the airport and they go, there's a plane, there's people on it. Do we know how to get to Bali? I think we just go to the end and turn right, don't we? Yeah, that'll (laughs) do. Yeah, no, they have their checklist. You know, they sit there and go over it very granularly. Everyone I know who is a high performance individual, and it doesn't matter what they do, they make lists. They may be mental lists. I, I, I have friends who are surgeons, and they have a mental list they go through before they even start. It, 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 they call it a step back. So they don't touch the patient until they've mentally rehearsed. And in complex cases, they will rehearse beforehand. And I have friends who are pilots, as we said, they don't just rock up to the airport and go, I'll have a crack at this. And, and traders are the same. And it doesn't matter whether you're 
methodology is you're a scalper, you're a market maker, you're an algo trader, you're a fundamental trader, technical trader, all the ones that who are successful have this plan and it's their plan. It's, it's not somebody else's, it's theirs. Yeah. So what do you think are some of the most important components at sort of a base level of what makes a good trading plan? If we're, if we're to distill it, when I was asked to write my first book, the publisher said, can you write a book on trading? And I thought, well, yeah, I probably could, but I only know three things. If it's trending up over the time frame you trade it, you buy it. If it's trending down on the time frame in which you trade, you sell it. And you definitely don't bet the farm. And they said, I think you're going to have to pad a little bit. And I thought, you know, I, prob- I probably could. I used to be an academic. I can make, I can make stuff up. <laughs> it, 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 every, every plan has entry, exit, position, sizing. Now, now, they're really generic terms. You've got to have a reason to buy something. And it has to be a compelling reason that fits your worldview and your sort of schematic of the way you trade. Reasons to not buy something are the bloke down the pub said it was a good thing. Some lunatic on TV said it was a really good thing. I heard, or my favourite, I reckon. Good yeah. luck with that one. And But you've also got to have reasons to leave. This is this is the horrible thing about money management. Uh, much is made of money management, and in particularly its complexity. People try and make it very, very hard. But there's only one thing you really need to know about money management in terms of the mathematics of it, and that is that if you lose 10%, making 10% on your remaining capital won't get you back to where you started. You need 11.1. Lose 15, you need 20. Lose 20, you need 25. Lose 25, you need 33. You can see where the curve goes. If that's indelibly printed into people's heads, then it goes some way to giving them survivability. But overlaying all that money management is simply getting your head right because trading is designed, I think, sometimes maliciously, to do your head in. It, it, it just there's, there's just something about it that triggers off all these anxieties, all these difficulties we have with money, all these odd behaviours that people have that make it very hard for them to trade. Humans are not born to trade. Our psychology is designed to do other things. So whilst human intellect has built these very complex financial systems, our psychology is still that of people who wandered around the African savannah in, in a world that was much slower, had very different threats, and required very, very different emotional and physical responses to those threats. And so if you can't get your head right, if you can't deal with the anxieties of trading, of all the things it does to you emotionally, then then you're really, really going to struggle. And that, unfortunately, is a very idiosyncratic journey. Everyone in trading makes the same mistakes, but we make them all in our own unique way. And that's the thing people have to come to terms with. Trading is a doing word. It's a verb. You trade. And so you have to experience it to understand it. Yeah, that's a pretty profound insight right there. It's, you know, our brains have not changed that much over the last uh, 
million years or so and we're just putting it in different we're trying to torture it so we expose it to the pain machine that is the market but uh it takes a lot of discipline to uh and, and, stick and to that, your plan that's the thing and a lot of people have not been exposed to stressful situations because most of life most of modern life for the majority of people is trying to get through the day without sticking the fork in the toaster and electrocuting yourself if you manage to do that, you're a successful human for the day. But very few people are, have been exposed in their lives to situations where they are under true stress, where they feel that physiological response, where they get the adrenaline dump. Uh, I, I used to be a bouncer uh, when I was a student. And it's, it, you soon learn that your greatest enemy is anxiety. Because anxiety makes you do silly things. It causes you to be reflexive and not reactive. There's no pause in what you do. And that's just the way it is. You need to get used to being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Yeah. I recall. Uh, that, that's just, that's what we did in the military was they put you into, you know, if you're learning how to clear a building, they play crazy loud music. They're blasting lights. Their flashbangs are going off. And you're just doing this in a simulated town. It's so that you can start to learn how to perform under pressure and handle that stress so that when the time comes to have to do that in a real-life scenario, all of a sudden, it's very comfortable being – I've become more comfortable under stress than I am yeah. when I'm relaxed because we, we, of that. We, st we, we do the same thing. in. Uh, I, I still train in <laughs> – the, the current buzzword is combatives. You'd call it self-defense. I've been a martial artist since I was 12. And we do a lot of what we call inoculation training, which is somebody gets in your face and they say any manner of appalling things to you and it's aggressive, they spit on you. It, it's, it's designed to elicit a response. And the first few times you get it, you don't know whether to wet yourself or headbutt them because that, that they're the natural responses. It's either fight or flight. But there's actually a third way, which is, I think, what, as you were saying, the military aims for, which is equilibrium, where it washes over you and you can still make decisions because it's that stress robs people of the ability to make decisions. And you see the training that first responders go through. They go through a similar thing. They're placed under enormous stress. Paramedics are placed under enormous stress. And they're all simulations designed to try and generate equilibrium so that you can continue to make decisions. So when people, you know, first encounter this in the market and they have a position and it goes against them, all these emotions are new and they're fresh and they're raw and they're amplified. And so they really, really struggle. And it, you have to give them sufficient basic skills to get them over that initial hump so they survive the first encounter, which means they're a, they're a little bit more adapted to survive the next encounter and the next one and the next one. The problem is a lot of people fall over at the first encounter. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of decisions, one one thing that I wanted to ask you about as long as we've kind of been focusing on trading psychology is we are talking about how following the trend, you know, going with the trend one way or the other is the way to trade. But I see that you are very interested in uh, the idea of recency bias. Um, 
how do you kind of decide what is the trend to follow because it's what's happening versus what makes recency bias? That's a really good question. Uh, For for those who don't sort of know what recency bias is, it's this issue where today was, I, I, I believe that today was like yesterday, therefore tomorrow will be like today. No, nothing ever changes. And I see this in each generation of traders. The the analogy I use, and, and you'll forgive the analogy, is that every generation who has grown up, got their license and bought a car thinks they're the first ones to invent having sex in the car. Fair enough. People have been having sex in cars for a 100 years, and before that they were having it in the back of the buggy. There's nothing new. And I think what happens with each generation of traders is they think, this is A, all new, and they've just discovered it, and B, uh, something I've seen particularly over the past decade is uh, watching colleagues in the US is that stocks only ever go up. Here's a newsflash for you. They also go down. And the, the way we insulate people against recency bias is to be systematic. The, the system tells you what the trend is. It, it, it's not a perceptual judgment. Because as we've discussed, human perception is flawed and it's flawed and skewed towards what your existing bias is. So, for example, if you think Roku only ever goes up because in the limited time frame you've been trading it, it's only ever gone up, A, you're afflicted by recency bias, but B, you're unable to take a step back from what is occurring and say, well, what's actually the global picture with price at present. And that that catches people all the time. As I said before, there are no new mistakes in trading. Everybody makes the same mistakes. We make them in our own way, though. And it's the same when we interact with price. We have to understand that our experience is not universal in that respect. This, this has happened before. Uh, I, I have this little thing where I will put up a particular chart and I'll say to people, have a guess at what it is. And all the young people will go, it's Bitcoin. And I'll go, no, it's not. It's actually the South Sea bubble that occurred 300 years before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the price trajectories are the same. So there's nothing new. And you need to have this historical global view that says, yes, this is happening to me now, but what what else could possibly happen? What what variant perception could I have? And that's very, very difficult for people to do because we like continuity. We, we, we assume that because our days are all the same, that every day will be the same. But in trading, that's not true. Day, days change. That's a great way to put it. And that's just a good thing to take to life too. Even if every day seems like it, there will come a day once every Two weeks, once every month, once every year, certainly every couple of years, that's going to completely blow that up. But it, but it comes back to what you said before about being adaptable, about being fluid and malleable, and just being able to adapt to the circumstances you find yourself in. And that, that's very hard. Yeah, absolutely. And um, is that the advice? So people who would just be getting started, which a lot of our people are, or kind of junior in their career, what would you have them sort of focus on first or what advice would you give them? I, I'm Look, I, I take a slightly different and holistic view in that I'm a great fan of people being students of markets. Go back to the period before 87 and see what happened. 
go back before the tech wreck, see what happened, go back before the GFC, see what happened. Because markets do repeat, and in that repetition they offer you opportunity. And one of the things I, I try and convince people of is, yes, markets look hostile. They, it sometimes does seem as if the market knows you, you're there. You know, you put a trade on at 10.35 and at 10.37 your stop's pinged and you go, how the hell did you know I was there? What the hell? But markets present people with infinite opportunities and, and history repeats. So if you go back and you look at history, you see that markets trend strongly but then they don't, and then they trend strongly again, and then they don't. So you have to be ready for two things, the trending strongly and the stop. And you have to be aware that markets do stop. And once you understand that, when, when things occur, when volatility goes through the roof and, you know, when, not if, the market falls over again, you, you are ready for it. So it doesn't come as a shock. And you're not constantly pushing the long side of your trades into a market that just won't tolerate them. So it's understand history, understand your part in history, and understand that markets are infinitely generous. And it, just as a metaphor to you know, deal with them and deal with the stress of it, because what happens in markets is the market rocks up to you and says, look, price for this instrument is going in this direction, do, do you wish to be involved? Yes or no? Well, no. Okay. And it will come back to you again and say, look, price in this instrument is going in this direction, do you wish to be involved? Yes or no? And so the only decision you have to make is that yes or no decision. Do you want to be involved or not? Because price will go in whatever direction it's going to go, irrespective of your involvement. All of us as traders, irrespective of the size of our egos, are irrelevant to the market. We're completely irrelevant. The, oh, yeah. You know, the, the price of every instrument will go in the direction it wants to go. Your, your only decision is, do you want to get on board? Do you want to be involved? Yes or no? And if you accept that generosity, then dealing with markets becomes a lot easier. They become less stressful, less, 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 look, I don't want to use the word fear but less anxiety-inducing for people. Yeah. I think it's great to simplify it like that. That's a, a very uh, profound, shall I say, way to look at the markets. It reminds me of uh, Hogue, uh, a trader with a lot of experience we work with who talks about um, auction theory, you know, talking about just it's a decision is made each time. Someone's buying, someone's selling, and that's just and the way that, it goes. That, that, it's very zen. That's it. It's just a simple transaction. You just need to decide whether you want to be involved in the transaction. It's yes or no. Yes or no. Well, that's a great place uh, to head to our final section here, which is, Chris, thanks so much for stopping by. Um, if people want to learn more about the trading game or you, what's the best place for them to uh, check you out at? Okay, best, best place to find me is at tradinggame.com.au. As I mentioned, we, we actually give away a trading plan template and an e-course that goes along with it. You can also find me on Twitter, believe it or not, under not, Trading Game. You're not making <laughs> trade calls over there, are you? Oh, God, God no. <laughs> and you can find me under you know, LinkedIn, which is Facebook for people with a job, under my own name. 
<laughs> nice. I still post my uh, conspiracy theories on LinkedIn just to keep, uh, you know, <laughs> things keep on, people on their toes. Just keep them on the toes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, Chris Tate, thanks so much for joining us again. Uh, it's morning, so get some breakfast or something right now. Uh, we're thrilled to have you. And uh, thank you so much for stopping by. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you, Let's Thanks for the time. Okay, well, uh, anyway, uh, after the sound effect, we'll be back with a few more words. Hey, everybody. Thanks for making it to the end of the podcast. We'd like to thank Chris so much for joining us. Uh, it's really incredible with technology that you can have conversation live with uh, somebody in Australia. Or I was saying I was taking a work call with some people in Siberia the other day. It's just, it tickles me pink, Dan. It's amazing what technology can do. I mean, you think about it 30 years ago, if coronavirus happened, I mean, there would just be no work getting done because you couldn't work from home. Now we can sit here and barely skip a beat. Yeah. And uh, 130 years ago, uh, they would probably just think it was caused by magic. <laughs> <laughs> well, 100 years ago, we uh, we did have it happen and uh, we got through that one. So we'll get through this one. Yeah, I think so. I think we've come we've come a long way, you know, with the president in the hospital. I believe it was, you know, the the, the president who was assassinated that everyone forgets about, uh, James Garfield, I believe, is that they think that his doctors actually like he probably would have survived if his doctors hadn't gone in with their dirty hands and poked around with the bullet and stuff. So uh we're always <laughs> progressing as a country. So that's a good thing to know. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, be sure to check out topsofcheer.com. Uh, check out the YouTube channel to see what we're doing in Coach's Playbook and Three Amigos. And uh, have a wonderful weekend. We'll be back next week with a brand new interview or panel episode. We'll see what happens. But in the meantime, namaste and trade well. The Limit Up Podcast is produced by Dante32. Futures in Forex trading contain substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.